0: To get really good at something, it takes a long time. We can learn a few things in seconds, true, but to really master something, some people have said it takes 10,000 hours to master something. Right? It takes a long time. It takes a long time. Sometimes the best things take a while. Have you ever driven a far distance with your kids in the car? Okay. Say you, say you have to drive days. Okay. What do they say inevitably, especially if they're younger, before you even cross the Delaware Memorial Bridge? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Right? And my answer is always five more minutes, even if it's days. I just give the same answer hoping they'll stop asking the question. Right? Uh, yeah, it, it takes a long time sometimes to get to a great destination. Can you think of any great pieces of art that have taken a long time? I'm thinking of the Sistine Chapel, right? Did Michelangelo paint the Sistine Chapel? Did it take him 10 minutes? No. Probably years, right? Years. How about a, uh, somebody making a statue out of granite? You know? Minutes? You just walk over and just find the right spot. And, and it's like perfect. Like the cartoon, exactly. That's what I'm thinking in my mind. I think Bugs Bunny did that. Now, it takes a long time. Listen, anything that that is worth it, anything that's really, really, really good, usually there's an element of time. How many of us are impatient? Pfft, right? How many of us yell at our microwaves? A- Anybody remember before microwaves? I'm old enough to remember life before the microwave. And... Um, you know, heating up your leftover food before the microwave. Can you imagine? What do you do? You got to turn the oven on, right? And put it on a an, an, an oven-safe dish. Who thought of such things? You know, you can't put your paper plate in the oven. See, we like things fast, but God is still working in our lives, Okay? And when God works in our lives, generally it takes a while. Is it because God is slow? No, I think it's because we're slow. And sometimes God gives us lessons and it takes us many times to learn them, right? Where God would want to, to get us in shape, you know, and uh, I'm sure he's not a time waster, but it really just takes a while sometimes. Today we're going to be talking about, as we look at week eight, Sanctification, big word. What does it mean? It just really means growing more like Jesus. God has a plan for us. He's renovating us. He's giving us an extreme makeover. Remember those shows back in the day where they'd go into somebody's house and it would take a week and rip everything down and when they came back in, it was beautiful, right? I remember they had car versions where they would steal somebody's car. Chip Foose did that think in the early 2000s, they would steal somebody's car and then when they saw it again, it would be awesome and totally perfect. And But it still took them a while. They were working 24 hours a day for like a week, you know, with a bunch of the best mechanics in the world and it still took time. God is doing something in us to make us new, to make us different. And he's cleansed us from all sin. We celebrated that today as we took communion. But there's still this part of us where we see we still have stuff in our lives. We still have sin. We're cleansed from all sin, yet we still have sin, right? We're not perfect. So today we're going to wrestle with that for a few moments. Here's a great quote from Thomas Trask. He is a former general superintendent of the assemblies. He said, the Christian walk is not a single event. It is a progressive journey. Yes, there is the initial fact of one receiving Christ as Savior and entering into the Christian life. But there is so much that God desires to do in the life of the believer following that entrance. Many of us miss out what God wants to do in our lives. Because we think of the first thing We think of entering the doorway into Christianity And many of us, we come through the doorway And that's where we stay Can you imagine going to a museum? Maybe the Smithsonian Let's say the Air and Space Museum Because I love that stuff right? Can you imagine walking through the, the Air and Space Museum in, in D.C.? You enter through the door And you stand there this is cool. I see some planes hanging up. And you stand there for eight hours. And then you go home. And people would say, hey, did you go anywhere great? Yeah, I went to the Air and Space Museum. And somebody says, cool, did you see the planetarium? No, there wasn't any planetarium. There's just some planes hanging from the ceiling. What are you talking about? Did, did you walk through and ride the, the uh, you know, whatever? Right? The flight simulator? No, no. Did you see the moon rocks? No, there wasn't any moon rocks. There was just a door and a bunch of stuff hanging up. Can you imagine doing the same thing at the Magic Kingdom in Florida? Disney World. You get there, you pay for your ticket or you swipe your magic band, right? You get through the gate. You walk underneath of the train area. You get the main street and you just stand there. And you're there from 9 a.m. till midnight, and everybody's, you know, they've told you how awesome this place is, and you're like, all I see is some gift shops, a flagpole, and a castle in the distance. There's no rides. There's nothing here that's any good. See, that's what some of us do with Christianity. We enter the doorway of Jesus, and then we just stand there. And God is leading us and God is wanting us to grow and become something more and something greater than we could ever imagine. But we just stand there. And when we do that, we've never honestly experienced who Jesus is. Some people stand inside the doorway of their faith for their entire life. Right? They come to church just enough to stay saved, if you will. But there's no shot at ever helping with a service project. There's no shot at giving to missions. There's no shot in praying. There's no shot in, in listening for the voice of God and letting God work in their life. They're just, they're just kind of spectators. I would say for those of us here today, I don't think that's the case. Now, Let me, I'm not implying that those who aren't here, that is the case. Stop. Think about you and Jesus. Don't think about other people. We have a lot of people who are sick and stuff, but I'm just saying those of us, we've been here a while. I think we have a hunger to see God work in our lives. I don't think we want to pay for a ticket or have Jesus pay for a ticket is a better way to say it. And we come into the family of God and we just stand there. We want to grow. We want to, we, we want to, we want to walk. We want to experience. We want to see all that God has for us. Well, that's sanctification. That's the process of growing more like God and having him work in my life. I'm so glad that his mercies are new every day. Amen? That God, if there's breath in your life, God has something for you and I to do. Isn't that exciting? Right? That's why we're here, isn't it? Because we want to be pleasing to God and we want to see what he wants to do in and through our lives. You can open up your Bible to the book of Titus our main scripture today is going to be from Titus chapter 2. It's on your YouVersion app if you have that, page 917. We're going to look at that today. And we're going to see through this passage how salvation works out, sanctification rather, how God's plan for us to be holy, to be right with him is experienced today. When we look at sanctification, we're, we're talking about God's God making us holy, God consecrating us, God setting us apart for his service. Really the absence of sin, that's kind of what we're talking about today. Titus chapter 2 verse 11, here we go. We're going to look at this passage. Um, we'll click through it with our outline today. The first thing we want to look at in the three aspects of sanctification, if you have your bulletin or online, you could take notes here today. The first thing is positional holiness, positional holiness. Look at verse 11. It says, for the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. Okay, The grace of God. So what is salvation? It's a gift, right? It's God's grace. God, because of his grace, because of his love, because of his mercy, he gives us holiness. He, he takes away our sin and makes us right with God. He gives us salvation. Look at verse 14. The last verse in this four-verse passage. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin to cleanse us, to make us his very own people totally committed to doing good deeds. So question is, is it true that we're forgiven, that we're free from sin, we're cleansed from sin, right? Is that true because of Jesus? We'd have to say yes, right? We know that. The Bible says, by faith we're saved and not of works. Uh, Philippians 3.9 says, I become righteous through faith in Christ, God's way of making us right uh, depends on faith. First Peter 1, 2. It says, God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and his spirit has made you holy, right? As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace and peace. So Peter's even saying that we're saved, we're cleansed, all of our sin is removed because Jesus died on the cross for us and we believe by faith. So in a very real sense, we are positionally holy. That God looks at us and when he sees us and he looks at our hearts, what does he see? Well, for those of us who have come through Jesus, he sees Jesus. Does that make sense? He sees Jesus. He sees Jesus' holiness and righteousness and Jesus died and our sins were actually ascribed to Jesus. Martin Luther called it the great exchange. Our sins go to Jesus. Jesus' righteousness goes to us. Positionally, we stand before God and God sees Jesus' righteousness. So you and I, the moment that we ask Jesus to forget, to, uh, pardon me, forgive us, we're positionally holy. There's no sin. Does that make sense? So we say that, we talk about that. We are saints of God, not because we're superior but because of who Jesus is. But there's another thing happening. Look at verse 12. Let me... Actual holiness. Titus 2.12. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. Huh? Huh? I thought we were totally right and totally pure and totally without any sin. So we're fine. Well, Titus, same passage says we're instructed to turn from our godless living and sinful desires. We're in an evil world, right? And there's still a tendency within us to do the, to do the thing that's wrong. So the second facet of sanctification we're looking at today is our actual holiness. Listen, God looks at us and he sees Jesus. He sees that we are righteous. He sees that there's no sin. It's not because of us. It's because of Jesus. We know that and we realize that. Yet in our flesh, right, in reality, there's still temptation, isn't there? Right? Has any, is it just me or have have any of us here today, you did at least one thing wrong since you asked Jesus in your heart? Can I see us today? Okay. Well, why would we do that? Because in this world, there's still this tendency for our hearts to wander. Okay? See, I think sometimes when people enter, we were talking about like going to a theme park or going to a museum and just standing at the door. Maybe we enter through the door of Christ and we just stand there. Some people just, They just like to be religious, so they come to church, either this church or whatever church they may go to, they go just enough so they can remind themselves that they're fine with God. And even in their mind, they're like, click. You know, I went to church once this decade. Click, right? And and they checked it off, and they think, I'm righteous because God is righteous. Oh, I like that. Your sins are gone. Oh, I like that. I'll eat that cracker. I'll drink that juice. And their heart isn't even right and they're not even connected to Jesus. That's why we talked about that so much today. Make sure we're plugged in. May there never be a communion service where you and I don't stop and think, maybe imagine in our mind what Jesus went to and went through and make sure we're connected, right? How easy is it for us to just take communion and not think? There's churches that do it all the time, right? We only do communion once a month. I don't know if it's, if it's just me, but I'm telling you, time is going by fast, right? It seems like it's communion almost every week. I think I'm just getting old. I'm like, communion, what? Communion, what, what, what? Oh my gosh, here comes Easter. Remember, we were just joking, We were just joking and said Happy Easter at November. Easter's in like four weeks or something. It's April 1st, six weeks. Right? We should say have a happy Labor Day. Right? Merry Christmas. Time goes by so fast. It's easy for you and I to just go through the motions. May we never go through the motions. Let's pause back and remember. But again, some people like that. But they back to what I was saying, number two... They don't even pause enough to realize that within their own hearts, we still have this tendency to do the wrong thing. That has to be dealt with. See, they could just come through the faith, come through the doorway of faith and think, okay, I'm right with God. I can do anything I want. I'm right with God. I can sin. I can do anything I want. I'm right with God. And they're not listening to number two or number three. Anybody know anybody like that? And you think, what, what, what are you What are you doing? What are you doing? So Titus, it says in, in Titus, um, we're instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. Why? Because we're prone to go there. Our hearts want to go there. We can say it's our sinful nature. We could call it our flesh, but we're prone to do the wrong thing. We're prone to do it. Maybe a good analogy is like, living a Christian life is like flying in an airplane. Okay? Right? What happens if you if the engine shut off? Right? Do you keep going forward? You don't really keep going forward, do you? There has to be momentum pushing you. Right? Now, if you're in a car and your engine shuts off, providing you're not on the highway, you're probably okay. I mean, maybe you're mad or whatever, but you pull off the road, you can call, get some help. If you're in an airplane, right, and the engine shuts off, Right? If you don't keep your hand, I guess, on the accelerator, right? I don't know if they have gas pedals. Probably not. Um, whatever. You're gonna go down. You and I both know that's what it's like as being a Christian. Listen, as, as we're growing in God, God makes us holy. God makes us right. Maybe God puts us in the airplane and gives us a tank full of gas. But if we're not keep, if we don't keep walking with God with forward momentum, what happens? We fall. You understand when we talk about church attendance and being faithful in those things, it's honestly not about a spreadsheet in Excel. It's not about saying, woo, our church is growing with people. It's not about that. It's not about having more offerings so we can buy a new building. That'd be nice, but it's not really about any of that. If we don't faithfully come, We. this is what happens. If we're not faithful in our church attendance, if we're not faithful in our reading, if we're not faithful with humbling our hearts before God, you and I, it's a discipline. We have to come and humble ourselves and focus. That's right, it's all about Jesus. And when there's a need, I'm going to stop and pray and not just say, I'll pray for you and then never pray. But we stop and pray, right? And And because we know our tendency is to never pray. Our tendency is to find awesome things to do on Sunday mornings. Our tendency is to find everything to do instead of reading the Bible. It's true for me as well as you. We have this tendency to go downhill that will destroy us unless we fight. You and I, we're in a battle And we have to press on. Because positionally, we're completely pure and right with God. Actually, our hearts are programmed to self-destruct. So what do we do? What do we do? We trust in God's grace. And we rest in him. And we focus on him. And he upholds us. Right? Does that make sense? Listen to Philippians 3.12. You can write this down and look at this verse later. Great verse. Paul says, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection. Time out. Paul is writing the Bible, and he says, I'm not there. Right? I'm not there yet. Okay, because I'm not there yet either. I want to read and see what Paul's saying. He says, I haven't reached perfection, but this is what I do. I press on. To possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers, I have not achieved it. But I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past. I look forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. I press on. I press on. Right? Actually... We still have this war waging within us, positionally completely pure. God looks at us and sees Jesus. He looks at us and sees Jesus. Actually, we know we're programmed to self-destruct. Jesus washes me clean. I can stand in God's presence. I can receive his spirit. I can sense him. He hears my prayers, but my heart is prone to do other things. Even during prayer, sometimes we're prone to do other stuff. Is sin serious? Is sin serious? First John one ten, John says, if we claim we have no sin, we're calling God a liar and we're saying his word has no place in our hearts. Is sin serious for the Christian? Absolutely. There's this phrase that I used to hear growing up all the time as a kid, backsliding. What's it mean to be a backslider? It's someone who used to come to church and used to love the things of God. But slowly over time, they allowed themselves to look at everything else and not Jesus. And I think the term maybe is because you could picture them on the front row loving Jesus. And then they're slowly moving back. (laughs) So I'm really scared for Tom because Tom is right by the door in the very back. No, I, it's not just where you're sitting in church, obviously, that's not. Tom's been in the back, and he would say, it's probably because of my bad breath. So Tom found the furthest chair. And But the picture is, if we're not careful, we can find ourselves outside of the church, and I think even outside of the faith. Now we can argue, we're not a Calvinist church. We have, I have Calvinist brothers who, who would believe that once you're saved, you're never going to lose your salvation. I don't think the scripture says that. I think we can walk away from God, that God's not going to keep us there. But to be honest with you, we're all on the same team. That argument is looking at somebody else and trying to figure out whether or not they were saved in the first place if they fell away. Who cares? I mean, we care about them, but I'm saying for me, I need to look at myself and make sure that I'm loving Jesus. Do you know what I'm saying? I need to look at my own heart that's prone to wonder as well as yours. And we need to look and say it's serious. John says, if we say we don't have any sin, we're calling God a liar. We have to deal with it. Listen to Hebrews 6, 4 through 6. Okay? Hebrews 6, 4 through 6. I'm going to read it. You can write the reference down. It says, for it is impossible to bring back to repentance those who were once enlightened, those who have experienced the good things of heaven and shared in the Holy Spirit, those who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the power of the age to come. Okay, so it is impossible to bring back to repentance, it says, those who've repented, those who've tasted the things of God, in verse 6, and then turn away from God. It says, it is impossible to bring such people back to repentance. By rejecting the Son of God, they themselves are nailing him to the cross again and holding him up to public shame. So people who have tasted the good things of God and even, it says, shared in the Holy Spirit, if they have left, the Bible says it's impossible to bring them back. Now, we don't look at other people and think, so-and-so, is it impossible for them? I don't know where God's grace ends and you don't know where God's grace ends. Again, this isn't about us judging other people. What this is saying, it is possible that the fire we have for God will just go out. Why? Because our hearts are bent towards evil. We're positionally holy, yes. But in actuality, we live in this life where we struggle, where we fight, where we're prone to walk away, where everything else is more important than God, including ourselves. So what do we do if we have sin? Before we move on to click number three, what do we do with our sin? Anybody? Ask for forgiveness forgiveness and give it to God. Wait, isn't that just when we swipe our ticket to get into the theme park? Right? Isn't that just to get into heaven or is that something we do all the time? It's something we do all the time, right? Okay, So so when we have sin, we give it to Jesus. That's where the analogy breaks down. Because even if we're back and we're riding all the awesome rides in the Magic Kingdom or we're flying on the flight, flight simulator in the Air and Space Museum, we're deep inside and our hearts are prone to wonder, what do we do then? God, you saw that. I pray you would forgive me today. Wash me clean and help me to continue to learn to hear your voice and obey you, right? And what has Jesus done? Well, I mean, what does he do? He kicks us back out and makes us walk back in the front door. Is that what he does? No. No. See, that's where the analogy breaks down. He doesn't say, oh, time to swipe your ticket again. No. Jesus will forgive you wherever you are and keep your journey moving forward. Just like if we're flying in an airplane and we get distracted and we begin to go down, we call upon the Lord, Lord, I am sorry. What does he do? He doesn't take us back he grabs us and he helps us and he lights a new fire in us and hits that accelerator and we begin to fly with him again. If you and I have fallen, don't beat yourself up. First John 1, nine. If we confess, okay, if we confess, it's interesting. When we read in scripture about prayer, right, and we read about times where the Holy Spirit's on people, there's always a verbal thing. There's always a verbal thing. A lot of us like to pray silently and it's just 1 John 1 9 we confess find a place to talk to God and talk pray out loud now if you can't you can still confess somewhere where you can't but as a general rule of thumb if you can begin to talk to God talk out loud God I am sorry if we confess our sins who's faithful he's faithful He's just, he forgives us of all of our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Just like if your baby, you're teaching how to walk falls down. You wouldn't beat your baby and say, no, 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 no. You started, you start over here again. <laughs> now come to me. No, what are you going to do? If your baby trips up, you reach out and catch them. You hug them. You encourage them. If they fall, you clean them up and we keep going. Right? Your Heavenly Father loves you. And through this process of realizing I'm completely righteous, I'm completely holy positionally, actually I'm still broken, we begin to learn to depend upon God. Right? Here's the good news. The good news is, number three, there will come a day where we're completely holy. Completely holy. Titus 2.13 says, while we look forward, so, so, so Titus, two twelve, uh, we're instructed: turn from godless living, live in this world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. 13, while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ will be revealed. That there will come a day when Jesus comes back and we're completely holy. Where the sinful nature is taken care of. Isn't that good news? Where our bend towards self-destruction is gone. That's a good day. That's a good day. And you know what? That means that your neighbor's bend towards self-destruction is gone as well. So you can look at the person next to you and think, I can't, I can't wait for that day, right? When God deals with your heart. Listen, when we go to heaven and Jesus comes back, it's going to be glorious. The Bible says, no eye has seen, nor ears have heard. No one can even begin to imagine what God has prepared for them. Because all of the bend towards darkness will be completely removed. Your mailman will not steal your mail in heaven. Amen? Right? No one's going to be out to get you. The Bible says there'll be no liars and thieves or murderers. There won't be violence in heaven. In the heaven, in the new heavens, and in the new earth, when God creates that, we're going to actually speak to that in a few weeks. I think next week we're going to be talking about healing. Then we're going to be talking about the rapture and Jesus coming back and the new heavens and, and what we believe about those things. You can come back for that. But we're going to have things to do. We're going to, we're going to live and work and it's going to be awesome. It's not going to be fat babies playing guitars and harps on clouds, right? That's toilet paper commercials and in heaven it's going to be awesome. It's going to be the, the greatest The best, most pure feelings you've ever had. Maybe like all the time. And it's going to be awesome. Complete holiness. Romans 8.18 says, Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. Wrapping up. I'm streamlining a lot here. Wrapping up, let's look at a few scriptures in warning and then we're gonna go to God in prayer. Mark seven sixteen. Jesus replies to the church people of his day, to the Pharisees. May this not be applicable to us. Jesus replied, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you for he wrote, these people honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me. See, the church that changes their community, that changes lives, is the church who always has their hearts bent towards God. It's not the best preachers. It's not the best worship team or the best sound system or the best buildings and the best parking lots. It, it, it's people whose hearts are bent towards God. God. You and I, let's bend our heart there. Why? Because by nature our hearts are prone to wonder. That's when we humble ourselves and says, No, I will worship the Lord. I will bless the Lord. Think of the psalmist that said, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Worship his holy name. Bless the Lord. And he's like talking to himself. I'm going to give God praise. Hey, listen, self, listen me, right? I'm going to give God praise. Second Corinthians 7, 1. It says, because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile the body or spirit and let us work toward complete holiness because we fear God. Complete holiness. Again, from the scripture, I want you to see, cleanse ourselves. Now, now, again, that doesn't mean we're forgiven because of us, but it means we come to God and we ask for forgiveness and God takes care of us, right? We understand that, that God will do that. See, we're positionally holy. Actually, we stumble and fall, but Jesus is going to pick us up. Jesus is going to work in our lives, but he wants us to keep working towards him. Hebrews 2 or Hebrews 12:14 work at living with peace with everyone and work at living a holy life for those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Those who are not holy will not see the Lord. What's that phrase mean? Well, if we didn't come to Jesus, right? If we didn't come to Jesus and receive forgiveness, we're not holy. So those people who have never asked for forgiveness, they're not holy, they're not going to see the Lord. They're not going to heaven, right? The thing is, these verses, most of the time in Scripture, they're written for churches. They're written for churches. So the writer of Hebrews is saying, be careful. He's writing to the church, work at living in peace. Work at living a holy life. Keep moving forward, keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. One more scripture I wanted to look at quickly. If you can turn there, this, this scripture is too good to leave. I'm not really going to talk about it. You can read it in your devotions, but I want you to read 1 Peter 1. We're going to read this together, and we can actually audibly read it together. Why don't we do that? It's in your Bibles. Um, the page number's on the screen if you want to turn there. If you've got the YouVersion app open, it's right there. If you have it open... Uh, why don 't we read this together i 'll just give you just another second to turn there, first Peter one, this whole passage is is fantastic and it 's worth you thinking about this week in your devotional times. First Peter one, as we wrap up it says so think clearly and exercise self control look forward to the gracious salvation that 'll come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world, so you must live as obedient children." Do not slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires you didn't know any better then. But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. And remember that the heavenly father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of him during your time as foreigners in the land. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And the ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began, but now he has revealed him to you in these last days. Through Christ, you have come to trust in God and you have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. For you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. As the scriptures say, people are like grass. Their beauty is like a flower in the field. The grass withers and the beauty or the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And that word is the good news that was preached to you. Awesome passage. So what do we? Man, you could preach like nine sermons out of that passage. You're reading and you're like, wow, wow, wow. There's so much there. Look at that. Think of that this week as God begins to work in your heart. What do we do? Press into Jesus. Spend time with him. That's the secret. That's the secret. We showed the video. Remember before we showed it from the skit guys where the one guy was was standing there as a and was talking, but then God shows up with his hammer and a chisel and was chiseling in his life? I almost shared that today. I'll post it on Facebook. And... Um, and share it with you. If you haven't seen it, it's a powerful video. But God is at work in our lives, and it takes time. What do we do? Spend time with God and let the Holy Spirit work on your hearts. God doesn't deal with microwaves, but no real chef does, does he? No real chef is going to microwave your plate and charge you $600 for it or $80 for it. It's just not going to happen. God's going to cook you and me right? He's going to simmer us, and sometimes it takes a while. He's going to chisel at us, if you like that analogy better, right? And and it takes a little time, but what do you do? You press in. Let the Holy Spirit work.